Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Myself, Matt Messiano, Tom and Jordan all here to talk about the recent fixtures. Boys, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, thanks. Um, good to good to be back again. And yeah, we've got a busy got a busy week coming up. We've got lots to talk about, so uh, yeah, excited to get going. All good, thank you. A little bit under the weather, but nothing uh, too bad, as Jordan said. Busy week with uh, Tuesday, Monday, isn't it? There's no Saturday game this week. It feels like forever since we had this opportunity to have the, the quick succession of games and really feel like in the thick of it again. I think like, there was that period of time over COVID when we first when we first started doing this as a three, where it felt like we were recording every other day. So, uh, yeah, good to good to kind of have a bit more action. Yeah, yeah. So uh, team news for the uh, most recent game was that Jao Pedro returned to the starting lineup uh, as, as captain, no less. And there was also a first start for uh, for new man Wesley Hoyt as well. Yeah, good to see good to see Captain Pedro. I think that was a nice little addition there. I think, honestly, looking at the lineup... Yeah, just coming coming in at two o'clock. It looked it looked pretty good. Um there were a few changes we wanted to see. Strong. Yeah, it did it did look like a strong team. Obviously Aru starting, uh, and then you got uh, Pedro coming in back to start as well. Two new centre backs kind of make, kind of making that that position their own, hopefully, and then uh and then also Kone coming back in the team. So there was there was a lot to like and also even the bench as well. Obviously we had some positives there too. So I think Everyone, for the most part, felt quite positive and felt that that was a lineup where you could, you should be uh, looking to get three points at home against Blackburn. I think that was probably what most people felt was relative amount of confidence. Mm. I suppose the bond question mark really was Davis was was dropped to the bench. Do you think that was the right decision? I think so. I think he looks like he's still trying to get to full fitness. Um, it doesn't. He. I think it was probably a, a fair call. There's probably maybe some other factors we weren't privy to, but. Um, yeah, I don't think that's a bad decision. I think Arouge did well in the last game, so it was it was only fair to to give him that chance. Uh, I have to say too, I was you know just the speculation of the kind of consensus about Hoyt when he came in was a, a few question marks. So I think maybe if you're talking about the lineup too, there were maybe a few, including myself, that were looking at that thinking, you know, are we going to see a, the positive that we hope for, or is it going to be you know some of the negatives that we've seen discussed in the Handelet fans as well? So there were two slight question marks, I thought. Yeah, it was Kafka's injury that meant that Wesley Hoyt came in to partner Porteous, who has already made a pretty good impression. But how did the two do together, though, Jordan? I mean, I think they were the best part of the game. I think they were um, they were dominant off the ball. They were they were looking looking to get themselves into good defensive positions. They played well together. Uh, the use of the ball was was positive. We seen we saw uh, Wesley Hoyt kind of break the ball out from the left to right a couple of times. Um, hit that diagonal, which is quite nice to see, but also just kind of the comfort to to play across the back line. The left foot looked good um, from Hoyt, kind of getting that ball forward down the channel quickly on occasion. 
Uh, he he played the ball. He plays the ball with quite a lot of power, but he, he's reasonably accurate. He gets it there quick, and you know that's tempo of passing is an important factor in you know in defensive passing too. Because if you are trying to get it forwards, oftentimes the window is pretty small. So if you've got someone who's confident enough to play with that speed, then then that's good to see. Um, yeah, dominant in the air. I thought they covered the ground pretty well. We, you, know, you see for the goal, maybe that was perhaps the weakness lies. Um, we were talking a little bit just before we started recording, but you look at someone like Wesley Hoyt, kind of bigger frame, and oftentimes the, the place is going to struggle is going to be in the box with the ball at the opponent's feet, and that's kind of where he could have done perhaps a little bit better for the goal uh, that we conceded. But you know, having said that, obviously he had his own contribution, and in terms of the pairing, they were also the ones involved for scoring the goal as well. Portis running forward and, and getting taken down, and then obviously Hoyt putting the ball away or putting the goal away uh, a few moments later. So really positive for those. Uh, and, and it was kind of a joint man of the match performance in some ways. Yeah, it was really. Uh, Tom, what, what's your opinion of the new uh, centre-back? Because it feels like ages that, that we identified at the start of the season as being somewhere that needed improving. And uh, all of a sudden, almost overnight, it seems like we uh, we don't have too bad a, a look there now. Yeah, it's like London buses, isn't it? It's For so long, it's been the area where people have kind of I think grown most frustrated. Uh, maybe not even that it's the players that it is, but just that it's been quite stale at centre half. We know Cathcart, Cabasele, um and William Truster Kong have been there for a few years now. But Sierra Alta, I suppose, has been there actually for a few years, or same amount of time as Truster Kong as well. Um, but suddenly, for one reason or another, it's a complete overhaul and it's quite refreshing to see isn't it Porteous looks really really solid on the basis of the first two showings obviously got his goal at Reading got sort of got an assist I think for the or forced the header back out to the edge of the box for Hoyt to equalise yesterday um, and, and Hoyt put in a really really good display yesterday as well didn't he I note that no one completed more forward passes than him um, for the two teams which I think is quite Quite interesting and, and comfortably ahead of Hassan Kamara and Porteous actually, who were who were joint second. So, yeah, it was it was really decent. I think that was the thing that stood out most of all about those two, wasn't it? That they were, unlike previous centre half pairings that we've had, quite prepared to try and be more progressive with the ball and and, and get it forward and 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 get us up the field more quickly. Um, not kind of without their faults, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought, but I thought there may be a little bit of culpability attached to Hoyt on Bradley Dack's goal insofar as letting um, Joe Rankin Costello get inside him like that and, and get the shot off, but, you know, not a, a glaring error by any means, just um, if I was being hypercritical. Yeah, as I said, I think it's tough when, when you've got a, a player like Hoyt, that's, that's going to be... An area of his, that's going to be an area you can expose the, the the quick turns in the box and the the kind of intricate moves. It's tough for him. It's tough for him to physically adapt to that sort of that sort of situation. You are going to see him turned a little bit, or if he does commit, it's hard for him to to kind of recalibrate and, and kind of change direction quickly. So that is a, an area of weakness. I think if you if he's defending in his box, you want it to be in the air. So I, I don't think you're wrong there. I think that's going to be something we've got to watch out for. Very similar to, you know, anytime you've got that rangy centre-back in the box, that's always where you want to keep it away from. So he could have done better, uh, for sure. And I think, obviously, Dak really did take the ball, take the goal really well afterwards. Um, he's kind of a fake shot off the rebound and then just slotted it away. But yeah, the build-up before that was a little bit, uh, could have been better, I'd say, as well, yeah. He's not got a bad strike on him, he, for us, he? It's, it's not often that a, a defender scores on his debut, but now we've had 
two defenders in a row score on their debuts. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, like Tom said again, like London Blasters, I guess. It's uh, it's surprising, but we'll take it. And, you know, they played a, a pivotal part on, in you know both ends of the pitch. So uh, I think that's definitely, I, I can't think of a bigger positive to take away from uh, from the game than, than those two. And, you know, as, as, as you guys said, we haven't had a partnership for a while. Is it a potential partnership? You know, there's definitely a chance that it is something that sticks around. And obviously, we've got players coming back. And look, I'd much rather us kind of go in a slightly different direction in that position. It's an area that we've not invested in. And I think these are two players. Obviously, Porteous came in with a fee uh, on a permanent Hoyt as a loan with an option. But we, we've had to invest there for a while. And I think a big part of that, too, you've got, we've got to consider is not just quality, but also these players that are going to be available more. You know, we've had a lot of players that have come in and centre backs. We've tended to go towards a kind of higher on the on the higher end of age um, just to find that value of free agency and so on and oftentimes it's left us a little bit exposed we've had players that have been missing quite often you know Cabaselli is is one that we paid for and and so on but as he's got later in his career he's had a lot of availability issues and it's a problem when it comes to to building that partnership and you know maybe potentially we've got that chance to to consolidate and, and have two players that can that can be the heart of the, the central defense we'll see Mm. A headache for Bilic now, though, because, of course, Cathcart, when he's fit, will probably rightly want to uh, to go straight back in. Uh, he's, he's not really put a foot wrong all season. But um, should he get back in, though, Tom? It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because I don't think he's put a foot wrong really all season. He had the, I think it was him, wasn't it, that gave away the penalty um, uh, last weekend against Reading, I think, wasn't it, against Shane Long? got in behind him and, and kind of tricked him into one. But I can't really remember too many other kind of egregious errors from him this season. I will say the only other run was the the Middlesbrough away. He, he he had a bad a bad moment when he was tracking back. He kind of stopped on the left-hand side of the pitch and just didn't get back into position. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The first. But apart from that, no, you are, for the most part, I agree. No, that's fine. So it's it's really hard, but I would be, I would be tempted to try and build something with those two because there's, Jordan mentioned, you know, the availability of centre-halves on a consistent basis has been a problem that's plagued us for a while now. And, and as good as Cathcart has been as a kind of servant over his whole Watford career, you, you are talking about a bloke who's just turned 34. Um, he's not the, the kind of future either. So I'm sure he will play before now at the end of the season. I doubt he will let anyone down. But there's, I guess, a case and we can open this debate up now as to whether he becomes a viable option at, at right back instead. I think it's also nice that you've got a left-footed and a right-footed player playing next to each other, which you don't get with, uh, say, a Kafka and a Porteous. Well, it changes the it changes the passing lanes available depending how comfortable you are with your left. But if you are using that right, and I think I think Craig does quite a good job of playing on that left-hand side for a right-footed centre back, but. You know, we talked about with with Hoyt the tempo and the ability to get the ball forwards quickly, and you know, a team that can we can struggle progressing the ball a little bit at times. So, having someone that can play in those in those tighter windows is useful. So, it does it does kind of raise that question. And I think what Tom said about Kafka playing at right back, I don't think it's a terrible option. That Gaspar's not going to be, he's hardly an, an attacking fullback for us at the moment. Um, he doesn't really offer that that forward threat that Ferreira does. So whilst Ferreira's not available. It's I think it's a viable option. It gets Craig in the team. You know, it maybe allows you to to be a little bit lopsided and, and put more defensive emphasis on that right hand side, and then also maybe somewhat um, kind of make up for the, the the lack of stability on the left that Kamara can sometimes provide. 
But you know, it's, we've also seen that Craig's actually not a, a bad support option for for well, Ismail Assar, who's played in the right previously. We've seen we've seen Craig play behind him and and not do too badly, and even at times contribute in the forward areas too. If he can get the ball up kind of halfway line and, and pass in field, or even swinging across every now and then as well. So I don't think it's a bad option. Obviously, it's not a long term um, situation, but I, I think whilst Jao's out, it's it's, it's possible. And I'm not sure. Have we had a timeline for Ferreira? Have we been given that or no? I was reading something on the Watford Observer that kind of implied it wasn't going to be a you know back in a couple of games time job. Um, yeah, like six weeks. So. Yeah, that's it. It might be. Yeah, it could be a you know kind of medium term one rather than mm, short okay. term. Well, in term. that case, I mean that's that's probably kind of ideal situation for getting Craig into team because you know, obviously Craig could also pick up an injury at any point too. So. Um, yeah, I think it's an option that will be looked at and I, I'm sure it's one that the village is considering at this point. Mm. On the uh, on the subject of injuries, Jordan, uh, whilst we've been away, you've been doing a bit of research. You have some info with regards to your opinion on the the training that Watford are doing, at least the build up to the uh, to the game itself. Yeah, I, I did have a little thread on uh, on Twitter during the week. Um, discussing this, but thank, very, very thankful for um, Andy and Duncan that were able to record a large portion of the, the kind of warm up and, and pre-game, uh, pre-game that what went through. I think it's probably it must have been Reading, might Reading away. So the game, my my memory of the games was so muddled by this point. I forget who we played week to weeks now. Uh, Reading away, they're able to get there and record uh, some footage for me, which I was able to go over and, and just have a look, really, just to try and identify if there were any, if there's anything glaring. Or anything interesting to to pull from uh, from what they're doing pre match because we you know we've discussed the the fact there's a lot of a lot of aspects a lot of factors at play I- into the injury situation and one of them is you know pre game that does have an impact uh, as well as as many other things but this is one thing that we do have access to and something we can look at and try and try and dissect and I think you know main thing we'll, we'll say I'll kind of briefly just kind of go over what I said if you want a little bit more detail go and go feel free go and read the thread. Um, but the, the takeaways, I think, is very generic, basic uh, warm up. You know, you're going to see uh, some group work, a little bit of a um, little bit of side to side kind of lateral movements and acceleration, deceleration stuff. Just kind of normal, um, normal kind of intro work that you do at the beginning of a warm up. Uh, a little bit of static stretching. Um, and then just kind of the ball comes out and they're doing you know some rondos in there and just a few different kind of movements nothing nothing particularly um different to what you're likely to see from a lot of a lot of teams warming up i think the, the thing is there's a big debate i don't think i think as a whole um warm-ups for football teams are lacking i think you have to assess what the standard is in general like an average kind of standard for a warm-up um but the issue is we're obviously looking at an abnormal situation injury-wise. So if we were even kind of reaching the league average of that sort of warm-up, we should be not seeing a bigger impact than other teams. But having said that, there are things we could be doing better. And if you're trying to improve a situation, then this is something you can look at. This is one element you could you could be looking at to improve things if you're trying to kind of cover things in general. But I, I think we could be doing more. Um, you know, there's not much isolation work, and by that I mean splitting up into say positional groups or even individual. You want to see players preparing themselves for a game in the way that they have to specifically. Now, positional groups are going to have different requirements in the pitch. Although it's a fluid game, you are going to see uh, different things from different players. There's a reason why. 
um, you know, injuries are more occurring in, in in different positions, hamstring injuries and so on. In the forwards and the wide areas, they're going to be more likely because the, the movements that are happening during the game. You could even make the argument for groin injuries of centre-backs as more lateral movement and, and more risk there. So kind of breaking things down a little bit, kind of having a little bit more of a kind of dichotomy between the the work that's happening pre-game. You can even go more granular and say that the individuals should be understanding their bodies enough or should be told enough about their situation to to have their own individual um, kind of walkthroughs and warm-ups to go through as well, just to get them fully prepared and, and fully ready for the game situation. Because although they're training every day, there's a lot of miles on the clock. Um, they're under a lot of physical stress and, and you know, their bodies are also quite capable of producing you know, more than average power. When you talk about these, these faster athletes, there's a lot, of, a lot of weight, a lot of strain going through these players and their joints and their ligaments and tendons. So it really is something that has to be dialed in. And obviously, I don't think we we feel completely confident that it has been. So, so yeah, there are things we could be doing better. Um, but if we are just going to be talking about the team going through kind of a, a league average standard sort of warm-up, I think one thing you could definitely improve would be tempo. Um, it, it's very going through the motions. Uh, and I get that as a player, it's it's easy to to not want to expend too much energy in the warm up. But you've obviously got a game to think about. Ninety minutes of, of professional football is not an easy thing to go through. So expending any more energy than you have to in the warm up is sometimes seems kind of not ideal. But you know, it's a risk reward situation. There's a balance to be found because you want to be properly ready for the game. And I think a lot of the time, you know, the movements aren't necessarily poor that they're going through that they're being told to do. But if you're not actually applying yourself to them you're not really getting the benefit and it does have an impact and there's, there's plenty of studies to, to suggest that that you know the, the stuff that you don't do in the warm-up is can, can be pretty damning and pretty damaging if you're not doing it correctly Jordan do you think the warm-up is um a remit of the head coach or is it more down to the medical team it's, it's, they'll, they'll have they've got coaches they've got a fitness coach they've got you know they've got athletic trainers and so on that are, that are building these together and look the thing is <sighs> I, everything the, the thing is with, with football is obviously it's a team sport but we're, we're discussing individuals when it comes to the warm-up everyone's you having a, broad, a very broad scope a very broad idea of how to to get these individuals prepared uh for a game and you know the head coach is going to have very little if anything to say about it it's not his area of expertise so he should be you know far far away from that situation so the medical staff will have some input perhaps but you know the, the trainers should be should be qualified enough to to put these together and i'm not saying that they're, they're bad their jobs or anything maybe it's a, a cultural change that has to take place to actually look at them and the, look at these warm-ups as something maybe a little bit more important but also how can you optimize it for the individual because it should be looked at as an individual basis when it comes to um anything else you, you're not really treating it as a a team specific thing because every player is completely different and their situation is completely different. You know, we've talked about before how pretty much well every single player that's playing uh, in that game and on the bench will have some level of injury. It's impossible not to at this stage of the season with the amount of work that they go through. Uh, they're going to be at injury risk, at different injury level, sorry, different levels of injury risk, which have been monitored throughout the week. So it just feels like a little bit of an oversight to me uh, to not, take it too seriously or, or not be too specified when it comes to that element of the game or pre-game because you know you spend the time during the week to make sure the recovery is up to standard you're monitoring them they're wearing their vest you know gathering all this information all this data and uh, it, it's a little bit strange that it hasn't quite caught up when it comes to when it comes up when it comes to warm-up you know it, it's not exactly the sunday league kicking the ball around having a few shots on goal pelting balls at the keeper for for 20 minutes but 
um, you'd expect it to be a little bit more advanced. And you compare it to other sports uh, that, that do have a you know a more technical, more advanced warm-up, it is a little bit lacking. And there are teams that you see uh, that that are a little bit more on it, a little bit more switched on in, those, in that regard, even when it comes to you know half-time as well. You know, they're coming back out and they are at least running through some drills just to get a little bit of dynamic movement in before... They're, they're fully exposed to the, the kind of current thrust of the game. So it's an area that could be worked on. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's around league, league average. And as I said, when we're trying to assess what's making us have such a terrible injury record, you know, if you're getting a league average kind of warm-up pre-game, then you should expect similar results in terms of the impact that has. But it's also a, it's also a group thing. There's, there's lots of factors at play, but... If you can improve in one area, you might as well. And I think that's something we could be looking at. Great stuff, Jordan. Really interesting to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, as a well, a bit of a an expert in that in that field, it's 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 nice to hear that uh, what for doing some of some of the things right, but certainly more. Yeah, I don't mean to bore you, like bore anyone with the details and stuff. What I will say though, one one thing I did mention at the end though, which I did kind of tack on there, is just from what I'm speaking to a couple of people that have a little bit more insight in terms of the how it's being dealt with. It sounds like pretty much every department's kind of looking around a little bit and scratching their heads, and no one's really got kind of too much of an idea as to why. So I haven't heard too much positive in terms of what are we investigating to, to find a, a solution to the problem, which is a little bit concerning to me. Um, I hope some of that information is wrong or kind of maybe a little bit reductionist, but um, yeah, apparently it sounds like we're not too sure why we're in the situation we're in, which is slightly concerning. This might be a bit of a curveball, but do you know any clubs that um, that you look at and you think they do it really well? They're, they're a good club to, to aim to try and copy what um, they do. it's been a little bit harder since i've been out of the country honestly not been able to go to the games uh to have the time to be there early enough to see um i was always impressed and also of course as well the, the the trainers that are at the club can change quite frequently too so often the club situation does in that regards but i do remember a few years ago on the Deitch, i thought bernie's um bernie's warm-up was pretty good um arsenal's used to be pretty decent too uh, under Emre, he's he's always had quite good coaches around him from a fitness perspective. I remember um, at Villarreal he did as well. Uh, yeah, just off the top of my head, those are two that I can remember sticking out. But again, I don't, I'm not sure their situations are now. But if, if you are there early enough and you are at the game, then you know it is interesting. If it's not something you're overly interested in or or particularly want to learn more about, you can you can definitely see if you go and go and watch the team warm up um, pre-game and then have a look at ours. There there, there are differences and. You know, if you're if you are interested, there's a lot you can draw from that. Maybe not from the, maybe not so much as to what you're going to see on the pitch, but um, it's definitely different approaches, and it's a it's a it's a complex but um, quite a rewarding thing to to learn about if you're interested. Cool. And uh, coming off the back of it, we've got some uh, good and bad news uh, injury related. Uh, start with the bad. Watford confirmed their 25 man squad list, and it doesn't include. Courtney House, so he's definitely uh, out. He's going to be going back to Aston Villa, I believe, but he's still kind of being paid by Watford, so that's a it's a difficult situation there for for everyone involved. But that's that's the scenario. And then we also uh, found out that um, unfortunately Dan Gosling is not going to be able to play this season either because he's not been registered. So it looks as though that injury is not going to be something he's going to be able to play again this season at least so that's disappointing but yeah your, your comments on those ones guys 
Yeah, I think the Courtney House thing, the, this, the whole thing is regrettable. I think he's a good defender at this level. And as you mentioned earlier, Matt, the balance of having that left footer, you know, he was that left footer when we signed him. The one game I saw him, which I'd convinced myself wrongly, was his only game. Against Sunderland, I thought he did pretty well. Um, so a shame, but probably for the best, most sort of amicable resolution. And then uh, regards Gosling, again, uh, you feel a bit for him because he's always been the kind of nearly man here, hasn't he? We, we brought him in during the promotion season and obviously he had the memorable moment against Norwich, but um, then kind of got cast aside the Premier League came in, in right at the death and played. And I think people quite enjoyed seeing someone who was prepared to lay it all out there and, and probably actually kind of built his reputation um, even further that summer with the Andrew French interview that he did, where he kind of spoke his mind very well. Um, and then this season, obviously, had his moments playing at right back against all expectation when he'd again probably been written off somewhat, included by myself. So it's just a little bit unfortunate for him, isn't it? He'd have been a good option to have in the squad. But I think the most interesting thing is they've left it at 24, haven't they? So um, I see Adam Leventhal's piece. The, expl- the explanation on this was that Gosling would be... We could sign Bakuna if Gosling was going to be for the entire season. So we kind of had to leave him out for the entire season. Um I'm not sure that was a price worth paying, to be quite honest. I feel like, given Bakuna wasn't even on the bench yesterday, I do feel like um, a, uh, a a crippled Dan Gosling would have made a more positive input impact than uh, Bakuna has so far. But anyway, that's perhaps a little bit harsh. I will um, say I would be shocked if Gosling was able to return this season anyway with the Achilles injury he suffered, but... Yes, it does. I mean, that. I think that's the, the thing, isn't it? Realistically, he wouldn't be. So, you know, being around the place and so on, you hope that he will have a, a positive impact. He seems like a good character and a leader and the sort of player that we need in that respect. But they've evidently got a, a, a spot there that they could use if, if, um, if they so please. So watch that space, I think. And then the good news on the injury front is that... Uh... Both Cleverly and Loser have returned to the first team and uh, they started on the bench and they got on to the pitch uh, at the the weekend and um, showed some signs of of what they can do for the team. And Ken Semmer too as well, to add to that. That's right, yeah, yeah, Ken Um, Semmer as well. And they all got on the pitch, yeah. And they made a positive impact when they came on, I thought. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've been desperate for those players to get back, haven't we? So to see them back in was, was was a must for us. Um, they, we we need depth. We need options, especially someone uh, like Imran Luzer who expect to come back into the team. Um, I think we you know we talked about or Billich has been talking about wanting that added player on the left. Well, getting Ken Semmer's back, Ken Semmer back is effectively that in some regards. So yeah, it it was huge for us, and we we need that with the, the run of fixtures we've got coming. So uh, yeah, very pleased to to have those guys back. It's we're starting to look like we've got something of a squad together now, which is seemed a long way away for a while. Mm, there was certainly a feeling on, on Saturday as though we've had the strongest squad available to us for some time. And that probably goes some way into the feelings post-game that Watford weren't able to to get a victory there because it, it, it felt as though we really had the players at our... Uh, at our disposal. At our disposal, that's the best word to use, to, to, to actually 
go out there and, and, and get all three points. But sadly, it wasn't to be. Yes and no. I, I jotted it down earlier in preparation because despite what people may think, we do prepare hard for this podcast. Um, <laughs> there's still, one way or another, eight players unavailable by my calculation. Now, we've touched on two of those, Howes and Gosling. They clearly won't be back. So you could say seven. But at the moment, that's Cathcart, Ngakia, Ferreira, Siralta, Kayembe and Kalu. You would reasonably say that Cathcart, Ferreira uh, are both starters and Siralta, Kayembe and Ngakia could be starters and he wouldn't complain. Kalu is the only one where you'd look at and go, yeah, well, I, I kind of forgotten about him, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> he was looking bright, though. He, he was, was looking bright. He was, he was. Um, so that's not insignificant. Then you've also got the... Aspria situation, you know, he's not been in the last two match day squads, and I think we're all pretty hot on him. He's made some big contributions off the bench in recent times. So, yes, the squad was definitely all right, Matt, definitely the strongest it's looked in a while. At the same time, that was the only four defenders we could put out basically yesterday, wasn't it? Um, all the other centre backs, the Cavaselli was coming back, wasn't he? And he was on the bench, in fairness, mm, but all the other centre backs are injured or moved on, Ferrer and Ngaki are injured, and, J- and James Morris, I suppose, is there. It does seem like a lot of players have come back at, at once, but I, th- I do think it's, you know, it's still a pretty difficult situation, and it's not a case of kind of snapping your fingers in their back. They need to get up to speed and get back in the swing of things and, and probably get through the first few weeks as well, because, you know, look at Imran Loser, how quickly did he get injured after coming back before? It wasn't that many games, was it? So... Um, yeah, it's and this is why I don't think you actually asked this question, but my position on Bilic very much is and remains let's give him, let's actually judge him once he's had all the kind of tools or the majority of the tools at his disposal because he's never had that and it's been just chaos really his whole reign through little fault of his own, I would argue. Just just before we get on the on the Bilic situation, um. Just one thing on the game, real quick. I just wanted to discuss in, in terms of the kind of way we approached it, and it, it does tie into Bitch, obviously too, because it's you know, ultimately it's Bitch's decision. But um, what, what do you guys think about the the width of the team? I, I, what I mean by that is we've seen when we looked at Bitch at West Brom, one of the key kind of tenets of his of his style of play was having this kind of tight almost diamond of players and the two wingers and the striker and the, the attacking midfielder all playing quite close together. And we, we thought we maybe saw some of that early on when, when Saar was moved to the left-hand side to almost encourage him to come inside and, and, and go towards goal and get in the box and so on. But one thing we've definitely seen for Saar, and it's a bit of a criticism I've had of Saar, and I mean, maybe criticism is a harsh word, but definitely something which I'm, I'm not, I don't always feel great about is his style of play where he, he stays so wide and he, he really plays off that line. It obviously helps him beat his man because it kind of draws the defender and he knocks it past him and runs. That's often his, his style, his, his, his approach. He's got the speed and the power to do so. But oftentimes our delivery comes from so wide, um, so kind of wide and right on the, right on the sideline oftentimes the ball's coming into the box from and the delivery is often quite inconsistent and we're not really finding our man. I think that was one of the problems Arouche had yesterday. His movement was good. He was trying to find space and oftentimes he's looking for it early and, his, his run was good, but we didn't make that pass. Or so then we'd eventually get the ball in the box, but it comes from such a difficult area. We just we struggled to really have any interplay. It's just kind of hopeful balls into the box without much real threat. 
Uh, and then you compare that to Blackburn, who they kind of had that incisiveness. They, they got quite narrow at times, and I know they were counterattacking us a lot, but they were able to get in the box and, and have that movement. And we've got the players, and we've got the ability of some players to do so. I'm surprised often how how wide we are, and you know, maybe that's some, something to do with the lack of support we have from the fullbacks to kind of give us that overlapping run. But that was an issue that I thought we, we faced yesterday. We didn't really ever kind of build up that threat and to, to the level I thought we needed to. And, and, and partly, in my opinion, that was down to the fact that we weren't we were too spread out at times. We just weren't able to get those numbers into those dangerous positions. I'm not sure if you guys had any thought on that or not. I was really excited by that attacking lineup, at least on paper. I mean, the fact that we had Martins and, and Sara on either flank with um, Pedro and and Arouge playing together. I mean, I thought, wow, this is going to be good. But it never really worked. And I, I know, I'd like to ask you why, why you think that was that. Actually, well, I think I think the width is a big thing, and you know, obviously, the way Pedro is deployed, and I'm, I'm not even actually, I'm not even sure it's fair to say he's deployed. I think it's it's Pedro's preference too, but to drop deep and pick up the ball as he does, you know, we talked about before how he drops that left hand side, picks up the ball, and he, he kind of carries it from the halfway line all the time. It's good; it draws bodies towards him, and it opens space up for Sar and you know other players. But I just think our spacing, I just think they're too far apart. I, I just don't think we're getting them get them in position to have that sort of interplay. Martins was was drifting across and he was doing more of it, but he was he was quite off, I thought, yesterday. Nothing was really clicking for him. Uh, so it maybe it just didn't really kind of have the effect that we'd have liked it to. But I just think that when you have the talent we have in those forward areas, we have to get them on the ball in, in, in positions they can help each other. And if Pedro's dropping short, you know, Sars playing that wide, I just think the amount of distance they have to get the ball across to to kind of create create any sort of attack is a little too much. And we did sort of adjust it a little, little bit better when when Ken Semer came on for a while when he, once he switched to the left that is, um, but there, there weren't many occasions where we were really kind of having that interplay of getting into the box and uh, and carving out a, a chance or playing around the edge of the box. We have Joe Pedro. I know he had a couple of shots, but I kind of want to see him around the edge of the box and taking, you know, making layoffs, playing playing the ball in, getting shots away. But we kind of really just operate through that wide, just both channels really is where our, where our creation comes from. And Blackburn were quite happy to to sit back and, and soak that up. And there was no real ever threat, it felt like, around the edge of the box and nothing to draw their defenders out, nothing to really commit their midfielders. Um, I think we just kind of kept repeating the same thing over and over again, just trying to get those crosses, get those crosses and, and build up from there. And I just don't think it's the most effective, um, especially when it's a kind of a one avenue approach and it's quite predictable. You don't really have to adapt too much. I think it's something that, that does hurt us a little bit. And it's not it's not unique to Bilic even, I will say. It's, it's part of the, the personnel we have, but I would like to think we could be doing more to perhaps accommodate a, a different style or at least a different option in those situations. Jordan, is it fair to say that they could work together better, but they need to be instructed to what what to do to make sure they're getting the best out of each other? Or, or would it be better to have uh, a partnership if we were going to have a partnership, which it seemed to be, at least for a part of that game on Saturday, with Davis and one other rather than rather than Arouge and Pedro? No, I mean, look, I think if you've got good players, I think you can you can find a way to make it effective. I think especially when these are players that, you know, you, you expect them to be dominant players in the championship. They should be able to work together. Um, I, I think you have to ask certain things of them. It's, it's always a balance in that. And it's part of being a coach is how do you get 
how do you get the best out of these players in, in terms of what they do best? And, you know, players generally going to lean towards doing what he does best. And, you know, for Saar, that's getting wide, being a man. For Jao Pedro, that's going deep, carrying the ball. For Rouge, it's, it's moving in the box and finding space. And I get that. And you, you're going to want to allow them to, to to play the best they can. But sometimes you have to make some adjustments to to put them into situations to, to benefit the team and, you know, cause problems. And I think they're all good enough um, to adapt to really whatever situation uh Bilic puts them in you know we've seen we've seen Pedro play as a, as a striker and you know, a central figure in the box we've seen Ismail Assad do the same thing these are players that are, are capable of being tactically flexible but you've got to ask a little of them to do so um I don't mind giving some freedom um and some autonomy to the players to to make those decisions but if it's not if it's not clicking um if it's not kind of giving you chances and yeah these are good enough that every now and then they can pop up and they can make the difference and you know, Saar can make a, a run down the, down the left or right and end up scoring, or Pedro can carry the ball and score. It, it can happen for sure. But there are certain times, um, there are certain times of the game you have to go into, you have to go in, you have to kind of re, kind of revert to your training and think, what are we, what are we doing in this situation to break down a team that's sitting back, that, that's happy to 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 stop the crosses coming in the box or deal with them when they do. There has to be a plan in mind, something that they can fall back to rather than just relying on what they do best individually. Uh, and not really having that that outcome you're looking for because once we once we bought on Brissa, Britas and Malunga as well things just really kind of fell apart and we just looked even more improvised and I think it's something that we could we could be doing better and I'm sure that we're making some effort in training to do something but I'm not really seeing it on the pitch right now and we talk about not having a philosophy and not having a, an identity that's one area where I'd like to see us do a little more because I think we we're quite familiar with the likes of Pedro and, and Sar and even though their games have adapted we know what their tendencies are um, and we haven't really seen too much apart from those tendencies, I'd say, since Bilic has been here, which isn't always a bad thing. But there are times we need to see um, we need to see the coaching uh, take over and, and, and kind of put these players in different positions. Tom, Kone and Chowdhury started at the weekend. But now that we've seen that um, uh, Cleverly and, and also Loser, and I suppose Semmer as, as well, you can add to that, uh, are, quotes, fit again, uh, ready to you know, make a start perhaps from the from the off. Would you think that that uh, midfield might change a bit or, or are, you, are you expecting Kone and, and Chowdhury to keep their places? It's a really, it's another interesting one, isn't it? Because everything that we've seen up to now has been a, a case of make, do and mend, hasn't it? Based on who's actually available. And now we're getting those options back. I'll be interested to see what Bilic does because... Yes, there was another kind of shape, wasn't it? Sort of four four one one, or I guess you know that can become four two three one very easily. With as you said, uh, Chowdhury and and Kone the deepest, the wingers and Pedro behind um, Arouge. But I've always kind of, as I said before, pegged Billich as a bit of a four two three one coach and. Trying to crowbar all of those players in isn't necessarily particularly easy. I would have thought, in my mind at least, that probably lends itself to more of a four-three-three. Chowdhury sits, loser. You know, he's not the most athletic kind of player, but he can, uh, you know, kind of go side to side. He's obviously got very good range passing, and Kone's the one that can kind of carry the ball and, and bring that kind of dynamism, a bit more box to box than the other two. I mean, maybe the answer is that he plays. In the hole, but then if you've got Pedro, Martin, Saar, and an out and out forward in Araujo or Davis and Ken Semmer, you know, suddenly it's quite a lot of 
pieces and they all have to that you know they all have an impact on one another don't they so it's it's the um i've not really given you an answer i've just kind of poured more questions out but it is the kind of um cliched nice headache to have i think in the coming weeks isn't it which is the first time that uh, any Watford manager this season can say that I think what I will say though is it is it's, it's an indication again or it's at least points towards the same thought that we've we've discussed before but you know this is where having having a recruitment strategy having an overall plan and then and then fitting the uh, bringing the players in to suit that and also bringing the coaches in to kind of cultivate that as well that's where it really comes into play because it's a good problem to have to have all this attacking talent for sure but we're then, you know, in a situation we're trying to think, how do we fit these players in the team? You should have an idea of how you're going to fit the players in the team. And, uh, you know, maybe it's harsh to say that about these guys because they're, they're two of our best players. And I'm not saying they can't work together, but clearly, um, clearly Billich has got a bit of a, an issue on his hands and kind of something he's got, he's got to come up with ideas for um, rather than being in a situation where, you know, you, you, you've got that kind of in check before you start bringing these guys in. But just something to think about considering going forward, especially when we're talking about, you know, Bilic himself and the, the topic of his his status at the club uh, over the next couple of weeks. Because obviously it seems to be somewhat um, somewhat debatable amongst fans right now. There seems to be a bit somewhat of a classic. Well, yet again, we find ourselves in the discussion of in or out for a manager or a head coach. So, um yeah, interesting. Yeah, shall we move into that uh, that topic? Uh, it seem it seems that that's been rearing its head more and more as the results have started to go the wrong way, and Billich has started to get back uh, more players. I guess the the sort of defence that we haven't, you know, we're, that we're you know we're running with lots of injuries is starting to become less and less of a of a of a fallback, and and. I don't know what it is about the the fan base, but um, some members are, are are starting to call, uh, if, you know, rightly or wrongly, for um, for for Bilic to sort of be be dismissed. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about you know what 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 the positives and negatives of that would be. I'll I'll kick off. I I, I understand why it's a debate because I think the. Although people were annoyed when Rob Edwards was sacked, it wasn't because it was Rob Edwards or he'd done a sterling job or anything like that. But the one thing that people kind of universally levelled against him was, well, we don't really see what he's trying to do or we don't really see um, a style of play, some, you know, a successful style of play. We don't really see it working the way he might like. And I think it's probably the same with Billich right now. It, but perhaps even we're not quite sure what his plan is, what his blueprint is that he's failing to live up to. However, I would say the World Cup, sorry, my phone just buzzed. I would say with the World Cup, the injuries, the transfer window being busy, you know, which is, is good because we evidently need to make some changes, but it's a different looking group again, isn't it? Suddenly, all these factors he's only really got something resembling a squad for the first time in this last week or so where he's got options in, in most positions. And even then, as I said earlier, it was pretty much the only back four he could put out or certainly the only centre-halves and right-back he could put out uh, against Blackburn. So I do think you have to give him a bit of a, a bit of leeway in that respect and say, right, we're going to judge you over the next five or six um 
games. Unfortunately for him, three of those next five are Burnley, West Brom and Sheffield United, who are, you know, <laughs> tough. And obviously played Middlesbrough a couple of games ago as well, who are, who are doing very well. So it's not easy in that respect. But oh, the other thing I would say is if you look at the, the season as a whole, what we've done in the last, you know, 10 games, or, or even if you just say, take this year, this calendar year, 2023, is entirely in keeping with the rest of the season, really. It's, you know, win, draw, lose, draw, draw, win, kind of, you know. Three wins in 13, no, though, isn't it? Is, is that the three wins? In, was it is, 13, that, is that what it is? Yeah. Is that it, good enough, even all things considered? No, no, it, it isn't. And we've, but we've only won back to back games once all season. And that was when we went on a three game run against Luton, Wigan, and Cardiff in late October, start of November. Um, no, three wins in 13 isn't good enough. Equally, um, two first half goals since the 8th of November isn't good enough. One of those was a penalty, I think, as well. Jao Pedro against Reading. Um, but I do think there have just been such extenuating circumstances. I just. And, mate, and look, make no mistake here either. I think, I, like a lot of fans, and probably like both of you guys, I'm just so fed up of the Groundhog Day renewal of coach that. I want to stick with someone even if they're imperfect. And that's certainly how I felt with Rob Edwards as well. Um, that probably comes into it more than it would if we were taught, you know, if we were having this debate in a previous season. But that's where I'm at. What, what say you two? It's hard to look at it objectively in some ways because you have that history of, of our, our coaching situation. But no, I, I, I do agree. I don't, I, the thing is with Birch, I don't feel particularly strongly either way. Um, with Bilic. I think maybe that's because we haven't seen, we perhaps haven't seen the best. We haven't seen him given the opportunity to you know, have everything at disposal. Obviously, the injury situation has been bad, so it's been it's been tough to judge. I, I, I do think he could have done better in in games. I think we've still, I still would expect more at this point from what he does have available. So I do understand people not wanting him. I also understand those who who think that he's not been given a, a fair crack yet too. I think for me, honestly, more than anything, it it's again another another example of of how you can't. Look, I think if you don't have everything in in place or in plan, at least you've got to have a you've got to have a director of football um, that has the resources, has the agency to to put a plan in place, to have a recruitment style, bring the coaching that suits that, and, and progress forward. Because the the fact of the matter is, if you keep bringing in head coaches. Uh, and you keep having to move on from them, you, you can't expect you can't put it down to just the coach anymore. It's one thing if that you can have you can have a system where you're changing head coaches frequently, but the frequency of changing of head coach has to be either because they're a successful coach, bigger clubs are coming in, they're moving on, uh, and you've got to keep recycling, or you've got a horses for courses approach like we did have early on um, with the likes of Kike Sanchez Flores and and Walter Mazzaro, so on. But when it's just not doing well enough, move on. Not doing well enough, move on. Not doing well enough, move on. There's no real strategy there. Uh, you're not allowing the team to to grow, or even in now, in the short term, you're not actually allowing them to be successful. It's not even like you're getting that short term um, success that that's somewhat repeatable. So, you know, it's one of those situations. I don't think you can keep looking at it as being the coach's problem all the time. So, in my opinion, I I think I'll probably just stick with with Bilic and, and, and try and push on and then in the summer reassess the situation because I don't unless someone that you're confident can can be available for longer term is is available now then then sure. But um 
yeah, in, in terms of situation, I, I could really see it going either way. But I think I'm just... The worry for me would be that if we moved on from Bilic, it would be potentially an indication that we haven't really changed too much. And I think we're all hoping for change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my standpoint, is I think the time to judge Bilic is kind of starting now, now that he's got what he has available to him. Whereas previously he was uh, he was working with whatever he had available to him and, and getting results here and there in difficult circumstances so I think a lot of credit has to be given to him for for you know for achieving what he has done with what he's been given so far yeah there, there have been weird subs there have been some some strange game management you know there have been some there have been issues it's this there, in my opinion there's still been occasions where he could have done better with with what he had at times too and and we've done quite poorly. I mean, even yesterday, that was a game where with what we had available, we should have been we should have been imposing ourselves and doing more. I would hope by now that we we could be in a situation with some of the players we have available to be dominating games, controlling at least phases of the games. We're very inconsistent throughout ninety minutes. And again, it's this is something that you know, as, I, as I just said earlier, you can't always put down to the coach because if it happens to every coach in back to back, and then you've got someone like Rob Edwards who's able to go out and you know, put something together and uh, and go on a good run straight after us, a, a team with best resources, then you have to start questioning and looking at to, at why. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a real tough one. It's it's probably the it's probably the hardest one to call. I'd say over the last few years, obviously we've gone through so many, but it's it's probably the most up in the air for me in terms of where I fall. It. Sorry to ride the fence on it, but I'm not entirely sure at this point. I see that um, Nathan Jones has recently lost his position at Southampton after only three months. I mean, there is a very, uh, probably unlikely, but um, peculiar scenario that Watford could potentially dismiss Bilic, hire Jones, and then you'd have Watford versus Luton coming up in, in, quite soon where it would, it would see Watford playing with Luton's old manager and Luton playing with Watford's old manager against each other. That would be, that would be comical. Almost be it? worth it, wouldn't it? Almost. <laughs> It's a wonderful narrative. I wouldn't want him anywhere near us, having watched what he's just done at Southampton. <laughs> yeah, you think that's the right, uh, the, the right uh, choice from Southampton to part ways with? Oh yeah, it's been a shambles from start. Not that the position they're in is his fault alone, but he has made an absolute tit of himself. Basically, it's a shame. I was quite big on Jones. I thought before, well, when he left Stoke, he was one that I actually hoped we'd potentially look at as a as an option if we're looking to kind of. <laughs> consolidate and build a little bit more but yeah clearly the, the trajectory has gone a little downhill now since the Southampton appointment but I'm, I have to say I'm not as intimately familiar with the situation to to know exactly um, their issues I haven't watched a ton of their games but anything I did see was extremely poor and obviously all the conjecture around him off the field too has been quite odd the last couple of weeks so yeah seems like they had no choice From Gino Pozzo's position you can understand why he might be very wary though because Watford have now slipped down to sixth in the table uh in their just one point between themselves and Sunderland who actually have a game in hand on on Watford and, and actually uh, Blackburn Rovers who who drew with us are on the uh the same points as Sunderland and Watford have got coming up some of the hardest games potentially all season with you know the likes of Burnley Sheffield United I think you mentioned as well Tom yeah I mean Watford can conceivably be mid-table by the end of those games. Oh, absolutely. 15 games to go. You know, it's a third of the season. It, it's it's a mini-season. We can 
really we, we could probably finish anywhere in the top top half um, in in that respect. It can it, it can go one or two ways from here. Um, I, you know, realistically, I don't think anyone expects us to to find the form to get into the top two at this stage. But um, we we can definitely finish you know third, and we can definitely finish outside of the playoffs as well. It would be good to get. I think that you know, if we're not going to finish in the top two, then we all would like to finish as high as possible. And and from a seeding kind of point of view, to get the sixth place team, momentum, all those things, and hopefully have the seat the position wrapped up as early as possible. But it can go the other way, and 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 Gino Pozzo has shown, if nothing else, that he's decisive, pretty bloody decisive over his tenure here. And if if he thinks it's it's falling away, what he believes to be the the aim then he will act i've got no doubt about that and i doubt that billich is laboring under any misapprehension on that front either he will know full well what he signed up for um so it's it's not beyond comprehension that he you know if we come through the next um the next three as we said burnley away west brom at home sheffield united away and we have a you know couple of points or a point or less um that he's in real, real trouble. Uh, I, I think that's that's entirely conceivable. Okay, I think that will just about wrap us up. But before we finish there, um, Tom, uh, Watford very recently uh, announced that they would be uh, rebranding the, the media suite in honour of, of Ollie Phillips, who obviously played a big part uh, for Watford. And, and I understand that you, you worked with him once. Is that right? I didn't work with him, unfortunately. I met him once. You met um, him once, right. But in my youth, kind of poring over the Watford Observer, uh, you know, re- particularly I can, such fond memories of it being a kind of broadsheet size and having a massive page match report and player ratings and whatnot, you know, in the days when that was the first chance to get the definitive word on the game because the, the internet was slowly taking off. He was, you know, the voice of, or, yeah, the voice of, of Watford. So I, I remember it so, so clearly. Um, and I, I can't sit here and say, oh, Ollie Phillips was the reason that I wanted to become a journalist and eventually worked for the Watford Reserve or anything like that. I'm not, you know, not going to make any kind of glib claims like that. But I think his passing and his significance kind of really um, sort of hit home for me that somebody that, had been a big part of my falling in love with Watford's, um, you know, the medium through which I took in a lot of my Watford's coverage and news in my early years um, and, and his significance far, far beyond that and far, far um, earlier than that, given that I'm only fairly young. Um, he, he was such a, such a great um, ambassador for, for Watford Football Club and for the town as well. He's obviously done a lot of writing about the town of Watford so um, yeah it was um, really fitting the tribute that the club have paid by naming the media lounge after him the uh, pictures Anthony Matthews shared them I think and um, Andrew French as well really nice tribute of uh, the kind of shadow of him with the Stetson on um, and so on and also all the kind of written tributes Andrew French wrote a really nice one and Anthony collated some bits I'm not sure if he's written his own one but certainly collated some bits with a lot of former players and I think that speaks for itself as well I can't imagine there are many journalists of this generation who will be 
kind of remembered so fondly by the players that they covered and you know that kind of 80s 90s uh, sorry, 70s 80s era when we were on the up under Graham Taylor and Elton for the first time and Ollie was kind of covering that I think you know it all kind of goes so hand hand in hand so nicely um that yeah it's um kind of significant for Watford even if you didn't know him I suspect a lot of people that love the club knew the name at the very least um so yes a, lo- a lovely tribute and um a shame we couldn't get the result to to cap it off for him yesterday yeah very fitting tribute from the club okay that will um, about do us for this one uh, i hope you've enjoyed listening to it uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can do so on twitter is usually the best way at watford pod or you can find us uh, individually at jordan weimer at messi messi on at tb Bedell. Uh, if you would love to uh, or, <clears throat> uh, I'd love it if you could also give us a review if you haven't done so before just go to iTunes you can find us by just searching for the Watford Buzz podcast and uh, if you go into the bottom you can give us a rating out of five and then leave a little note as well we always love to read them and we'll read them out on the show as well if uh, if you do so so there's the incentive okay then um, thanks very much for, for joining us for this one uh, disappointing result in the end I think usually is when you uh, when you draw support but uh, <laughs> when you support Watford <laughs> yeah I mean look it's not been the best season really has it so far let's hope that it, this is the maybe the turning point maybe maybe now we've got all the players fit and, and, and they're starting to come back that, that things might um, might start changing a bit what do you reckon well, fingers crossed it starts at Burnley that's all I can say fingers crossed indeed Alright then, well, from Tom, from Jordan and from myself, we've been the What for Buzz podcast and we'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.